0: Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24, Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae and even Ontario, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest any should deceive you with persuasive words, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would have a steadfastness of our faith in Christ. And Lord, in order to be built up in that, we gather together now, Lord, not under myself, but under your spirit and under your word that you would again teach us and instruct us. Father, show us the places in our lives that we are lacking, and I pray that we would shore up those weak places, and Father, we would find victory in you. And so, Lord, again, we just pray for your word, that you would bless us for for teaching it here at this place today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. There's so much out there that calls itself a Christian ministry, but is not. And really, that's the theme of this very rich letter because, as we've seen before, Epaphras, who's the pastor of a particular church in Colossae, he's on a trade route, and there's a lot of false doctrines. Now, false doctrines, a lot of times, are kind of shrouded in the truth, although they are not truth, and they're those things that so can, well, they can just so easily integrate into the body of Christ. They will have an appearance of rightness But in fact, they deny the word and they are filled with the ideas of mankind. Some will even present the Bible, but in actuality, they use it to mask who they really are. Many cults do that. And so again, at some point, this man Epaphras, he's saved. He's discipled under the Apostle Paul's ministry. He returns to this church in modern-day Turkey, the city of Colossae, and he plants and he pastors a church there. Again, these doctrines start blowing into town and he's got no New Testament. It hasn't been written yet. That being the case, there's some things that he's just not quite so sure upon. And so as there is no completed New Testament, he returns to the Apostle Paul. Paul at this time, he's in a dungeon in Rome. Paul confirms to Epaphras that this church is good and the people in it are godly. That he's moving in a good direction because we all need that encouragement from time to time. Paul sees that it's all validated by the fruit from Epaphras, teaching the word of God and sticking close and having a desire for the doctrines of the Lord. Now, when it comes to the clarification of the doctrines that Paul taught Epaphras, Paul starts at the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we spent all last week looking at, looking at the supremacy of Christ in creation and the supremacy of Christ in redemption. Redemption. If it was not a big thing for Christ to see all that we see, even in ourselves, just simply through his word, it's not a big thing for us to be redeemed, for us to be saved by the word of God as well. In first Peter chapter one, verses eighteen through nineteen, it says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I can relate to that. I went to church every single Sunday for the most part, all of my life. And I wasn't saved, I wasn't born again. At that time, I wouldn't, well, I'd probably say I wasn't born again because that's what the Jesus freaks did, but I thought, well, I hoped that I could get into heaven. And really what I was immersed in was the tradition of my father's. Why did I go to church every Sunday? What a godly man. No, it was because my father made me go to church every Sunday. And then that habit just kind of became ingrained so that when I moved out of my father's house and I got married and had kids, we still went to that particular church. The reason being is it wasn't so much because I loved the Lord, I just didn't want to go to hell. They told me I'd go to hell if I didn't go to church every Sunday. So I spent the greater majority of my spiritual life trying not to go to hell. Well, it's just a futile, it, it, it's a futile job. It's a futile process apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So by the traditions of my fathers, well, you see, he had such a godly father. Nah, he just went for the same reason and his father before him and his father before him. But then there was one day that I was washed clean because I heard the Word of God and realized the power of the Holy Spirit. I was washed clean by the blood of Christ. I was redeemed simply because I heard the Word of God and I submitted myself to the Word of God and God caused me to become that new creation in Christ. Now entering into verse 24 in chapter 1, Paul wants his disciples to know that Jesus, He's also unsurpassed within the church unsurpassed within the body of Christ. And so what we're going to look at this morning is some dynamics of a church in which Christ is preeminent. Because there's a lot of places out there that call themselves churches. If you open up the Daily Bulletin or a local newspaper on Saturday morning, if it's still there, that they have the church section. And if you look under the church section, there's a bunch of what's or called to be churches listed there that in actuality, not all of them are really churches. And so the first thing, verse 24, and this is a very rich doctrine, and here's a lot of, a lot of times the, the reality between what is a church and what isn't a church, it splits right here, because the apostle says, well, first thing, a church in which Christ is preeminent, it suffers. It suffers. If you raised your hand, there was about 10 people that raised their hand and accepted Christ last week. I forgot, I left that part out, I'm very sorry, but you are going to suffer. It's going to be a good suffering, but it will be a suffering nonetheless. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Suffering, yeah, it'll involve your life because sufferings affect you, but it will be for the benefit of somebody else. It'll be for the glory of God, but for the growth of somebody else. I mean, if you're truly a born-again believer, if you're truly dug into God's church, if it's truly a church, the people in it will have a heart to suffer. Now, suffer, not so much persecutions, but one of the biggest sufferings that we have is just the dying to our flesh. And suffering that and agonizing that day after day after day, at least we should be, rather than surrendering to that. Pastor Mike, that's not what Pastor Joel Olstein says. He's got a church of 16,000 people with multiple services. Who are you to say that? He says that I'll find comfort, that I will find blessings and even prosperity in the Christian life. Well, you will find comfort. You'll find that peace that surpasses understanding. That's the peace you'll have in the midst of suffering. Blessings well a lot of times God doesn't define blessings as we define blessings sometimes they're the really hard things in our lives Prosperity my prosperity is held up in Christ my prosperity is in my salvation. It's not in my wallet It's not in my bank account because if that was a sure-tell sign. I'm not saved I'm not born again and very few of us really are well Joel Olstein is a false teacher Just flat out, Joel Olstein is a false teacher. If you've ever watched him, he sounds real good, looks real good, a lot, lot better looking than I am. Talks a lot better, very polished, very refined. Can you tell me one biblical thing that he has ever said? Just give me one biblical thing. And if you can't think of one biblical thing, go and watch him, and when he says one biblical thing, come back to me in about 30 years and let me know what that is. I got a little video, some of you have probably seen it on the internet or on Facebook, it's a video of actually, Joel's not speaking here, his wife, he's standing behind her agreeing with what she has to say, but what she got, she got from him, and then at the very end, pay attention because there's going to be some wise commentary on it. So I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves. Because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God happy. Amen. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I don't know if Bill Cosby's born again, but he had some very deep insight in that. Now, because of what Bill had to say, don't let it get past you, it is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, spiritually speaking. Do it for yourself. Do it. For, that's heresy. That's flat-out heresy. They're lulling, very serious, they're lulling people to hell. They're making people comfortable in their present condition, and they're lulling people to hell. And so, you look at... Joel, and I don't even know what his wife's name, Mrs. Heretic, you look at them, and what are we concerned about today? We're we're concerned about terrorists, we're concerned about ISIS, we're concerned about Al-Qaeda, and you know, we need to be praying in that arena, don't get me wrong, I'm not totally discounted that, but that's the biggest danger to America today. People are going to hell because of those things, and we got to, well, that's what Epaphras was concerned about. They've got these other doctrines and some of them, well, they sound good and they're kind of parallel to what I've heard, but also some of them are completely contrary and he's worried about people's salvation. And again, that's where our focus needs to be. That's where we need to truly be suffering. The reality of the matter is diligence in anything of any value is hard. It takes effort. It's uncomfortable. It takes time and energy and it's not easy. And so is the same in our Christian life. And we've been sold a bill of goods to think that we're going to be skipping hand in hand down the yellow brick road all the way through the gates of heaven. That's not how it's going to be. Matter of fact, how can you have that theology when you, if you were to get into heaven and look at the Apostle Paul? who was beheaded for his faith. Look at the prophet Isaiah who was sawn in half. Read Hebrews chapter 11 and see the hardships that people went through. And these people are people who the Holy Spirit has used as an example for people who are in the faith. Nobody there that they said, well, he had, you know, again, big bank account, all that other stuff. Well, the one who had the biggest bank account, Solomon, his heart was stolen away from the Lord. And so we've got to understand these things and the reality of these things, because if we're not rooted and grounded in proper doctrine, we're going to be saved. And along those lines of even Christianity being hard, Matthew chapter seven verses thirteen through fourteen, Jesus said, "Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go go. There are many who go in by it." Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Oswald Chambers said, If we are going to live as disciples of Jesus, we have to remember that all efforts of worth and excellence are difficult. The Christian life is gloriously difficult. But its difficulty does not make us faint and cave in. It stirs us up to overcome. We appreciate the miraculous salvation of Jesus Christ even to our uttermost for His highest, our best for His glory. It takes a tremendous amount of discipline to live the worthy and excellent life of a disciple of Jesus in the realities of life. And it is always necessary for us to make an effort to live a life of worth and excellence in His sight. You can say, well, didn't Jesus say my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Yeah, but you've got to work at getting to that place. I'm not saying work for salvation. We don't work for salvation. But once I'm saved, it's time to get to work because the church that doesn't get to work is of no use. And so as I die to my flesh, as I put forth that effort, the Lord enables me in these things. The Lord enables me and the Lord will will push us forward, the church and the cause of Christ. Epaphras, Paul could say, if you found the work of ministry hard, good. It's supposed to be hard. Don't look at that as coming up against God's will. Understand that that proves that you are in God's will. Mom and dad, if it's hard raising a kid and you feel like you're failing, understand it's going to be like that. I can relate to that. If my kids died today, I believe all of my kids would enter into the kingdom of heaven. But nonetheless, it doesn't make it any easier. It didn't make it easier. There was times when, well, I just pulled my hair out. Let me ask you this though, seriously, have you ever suffered for somebody's salvation? And what I meant, die to yourself, die to your will, and die to your desires for the benefit of somebody else. And again, just about any parent who has godly aspirations for their child will be able to relate to that one. Secondly, when Christ is preeminent, the sphere of ministry is to be within the context of the church. I'm not saying the sphere of ministry is within the church, but within the context of the church. We saw a couple of weeks ago the Apostle Paul, before he realized his ministry, before he heard his calling in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, he was involved in the church that was at, that was at Antioch. He was involved in the midst of the body of Christ. He was serving in the body of Christ. And he just happened to be one of those whom the Holy Spirit says, separate for me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. There was going to be some that stayed behind and continued to flourish within the body of Christ. Paul and Barnabas were to flourish out on the mission field. Epaphras, a minister, that in which a ministry in which Christ is, is preeminent in, you must be a servant of the Gospel, you must be a servant of Christ, and you must be a servant of the church. Verses 24 and 25, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up my flesh, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And so just as surely as Paul says that, that, that he was suffering for that body of Christ, for what is lacking the afflictions of Christ because of, because of these people. And Paul's just so concerned, especially in his jail cell, knowing that there's false doctrines. Knowing, if you would look back, we're not going to turn there, but in Acts chapter 20, as he's saying his farewell to the elders at the church of Ephesus, he's telling these guys that savage wolves are going to rise up from amongst you. And he's not talking about their city or anything. He's talking from amongst the elders, the leaders of the church. And so Paul, he's got a heart for the body of Christ because he understands the value of the body of Christ. He understands if the enemy is able to get a foothold within a church, it's going to defeat that church in its Christ-ordained purposes. Church, a church, is a gathering of God's people as an instrument by which Jesus Christ manifests Himself, himself to the world. Keep it in mind what Paul previously wrote, that it's Jesus who manifest is manifest, the manifestation of God. So we've got Jesus, the manifestation of God to the church, church, the manifestation of Jesus Christ, To all of the world and so i've got to take that i've got to take that into the body of christ but i also got to take it out of the body of christ out into the world into my home and every relationship that i have why do we gather as a church why do we gather as a church we gather as a church so that san bernardino would know that god walks among them That's the reason why we gather at the church to prepare us for this week so that San Bernardino County, it's a county that God's given us, and if you go up to L.A., L.A. County, so that God, I'm sorry, so that they know that God walks among them. And if you don't walk among them, then they will never know. That's how God has chosen. How will they know without a preacher? You are the preacher into various people's lives. I have a friend that showed up I think it was this past week. I'm going go so fast. Yeah, it was this past week. Maybe it was last week, whenever it was. I had a friend that showed up at some point in my life. I was here at church and just doing what I always do. The phone rang and I answered it. And he says, is this Pastor Mike? And he said, is this Pastor Mike? You know, I'm thinking, oh, great, a salesperson. And I go, yeah, it's Pastor Mike. Mike yes, I go, yeah, it's Mike Urciel. This is Gary, Gary Savage. I haven't seen Gary in 10, 12 years, whatever it might be. And he came to, he was in the area and he came. And when I went out to greet him, he says, I got some bad news. My son James died about a month ago. He hit his head and it was a tragic accident. But what was he doing? He was going to that which he knew was the church. And it wasn't so much because of a building, it was because of a person that he had a relationship with. And again, we got to be of that mindset because the world is going through tribulation. And if you read to the end of the book, they're going to go through great tribulation. And we are the ones who are the representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they would know. Thirdly, when Christ is preeminent, he will be the source of your calling. Everybody here, if you're a born-again believer, you have a calling. You have a spiritual gifting. We're going to start looking at that on Sunday nights. We're going to start looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the Trinity and then the giftings of the Holy Spirit in the weeks to come. But everybody here has a calling. Everybody here has the gifting of the Holy Spirit so that you would be able to fulfill that calling. And so in verse 25, Paul says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God... You know, steward is he who cares for the riches of his master. And so he's been, giving, been given stewardship of the church, which he understands as his master, which was given to me, he's been given that stewardship, for you to fulfill the word of God, to fulfill the word of God and the purity of the word of God. So the Lord made Paul a steward, and these things were given to him for the body of Christ, that the Word of God would continue to go out, and so that the Word of God would remain pure and so whatever it is that you're calling is you're partaking of that ministry even right now why because we 're reading paul 's letter paul paul if you can tell Paul, Paul, two thousand years later, two thousand years later your your letter is going to continue to give it's going to continue to minister, and so we need to be receptive of these things because it wasn't in actuality Paul writing to a people that lived 2,000 years ago. It was Paul writing to the church throughout all of the church age. And I say reality, it wasn't even reality of Paul. It was the reality of the Holy Spirit. God giving us these things one time for all. Once for all. And so when it comes to your ministry, whatever your ministry is, it's been said, I believe it was by Spurgeon, if you can do anything else than fulfill that ministry, go do it. If you can do nothing else than fulfill that ministry, go for it. Spurgeon didn't say go for it, that was me, but nonetheless, you get the point. You get to, if you can do anything else, that means you weren't called. That means you weren't called. And now you're not going to always know exactly what you're called to. I just got involved in ministry and God directed me to where it was that he wanted me to be. But if you can do anything else, do it. But if you can do nothing else, then that's what you need to immerse your, yourself into. Again, whatever that calling from Christ or that Christ has placed upon your life. Look at, fast forward a little bit, Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. And to archippius take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And then there was the prophet Jeremiah. Prophet Jeremiah was called. God said, I called you from the womb and prepared you for this ministry. The problem with Jeremiah is he was going to go out and do the ministry that God has called him to and he wasn't going to see anybody convert. He wasn't going to see anybody come to church. He wasn't going to see anybody receive of that ministry. Matter of fact, they were going to be kind of contrary to his ministry. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, at a point that he just kind of got fed up. Oh, Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You enticed me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. But, you know, he's given the excuses that we all can. I'm in derision daily. Everybody mocks me. Lord, they're all making fun of me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, and he's basically saying I was fed up. Then I said, I will not make mention of him. That's capital H, he's speaking of the Lord. Nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire and it shut up my bones. He can't do anything else. He, He realized that. He couldn't do anything else but to fulfill the will of God in and through his life. And unfortunately, a lot of us in the body of Christ, we spend all of our time doing anything but. We don't want to suffer. Americans, we're not good at really suffering unless somebody crashes a plane into a building or, or attacks Pearl Harbor, whatever it might be. But we're just not a people who are good at suffering. And because we do not suffer long, we allow these things to... Well, we have the mindset of Jeremiah, but we quench the fire that burns within our hearts. And it's not just to our detriment that we do these things. It's to the detriment of those whom God has called us to. And again, just look at your home. Are you doing the things that you know that you need to be doing in your home? Are you praying in your home? Are you preaching the word of God in your home? Now, my home right now is just me and my wife for the most part, but we get into the word every day and we pray every day. And so I've got to start at the most obvious things in my life, and we'll call those the little things, although the little things, the most obvious things are really the big things, but nonetheless. And then everything else springs out from there. Because again, if these things are real, and if they're going to be real in our lives, if they're going to be real in our communities, they've got to be things that we are diligent in. Fourthly, when Christ is preeminent in the church, the mystery is revealed, verse 26 to 28. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of His glory, of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you and the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The mystery in this context is something that was veiled in the Old Testament but revealed in the New Testament through the Lord Jesus Christ. Old Testament uh, mysteries, for example, Messiah, salvation, grace, the church, and salvation to the Gentiles is what he's speaking of here. As far as the doctrines that are blowing through town at that particular point in history, at that particular time in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, "...but even if our Gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, least the light of the Gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Christ's sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, there are those who are deceived. And there are those who are deceivers. But we've got to, it's essential, that we stay rooted and grounded in the Word of God. And again, not just here at church, it's just not for you to come and just to be an audience member, but a participant. A participant, again, through your calling, because all callings, they all accumulate in the giving of the Word of God somehow, some way. And again, making it an everyday part of your life because the world out there, it's veiled to them. You know, so many times it's like, can't you see the reality? Don't you understand the things that are going on? Because you've experienced the things that were going on and it led to your salvation. And You see those people that, well, all things work together for the good and God's wanting to work this for the good, but... Well, they're veiled. They don't know the Word of God. Or maybe they've rejected the Word of God. And so we continue. We continue and we don't stop. And it's hard. It's hard and it can be frustrating. We can so easily get in the flesh, but I've got to die to the flesh and continue to work in the Spirit, again, for the benefit of mankind. So because Christ is supreme in creation, supreme in redemption, He is also supreme in the church. Now, really, we're going to be looking at verses 29 down through verse 6. It's really the reason that I backed up and went over these points. We kind of glossed over this stuff last week, and normally I would start in chapter 2. But I think there's a really important point here because we needed to look at those elements of ministry and the truth that is out there, but we also got to look at ourselves and our hearts and how we approach the work of ministry. The ministry is how we approach the church, the church that you attend, and how you approach what God has called you to. And again, starting forth in your personal life with your spouse, with your kids, with your various acquaintances, and so on and so forth. So verse 29. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And so what Paul is saying here, and to draw your attention to the word conflict in verse 1. Remember, the Apostle Paul, there's nothing that he can physically do, but he's conflicted. Now that word conflicted, I don't think it really does justice. If you would look it up in the lexicon next to the word conflicted, you can write struggle. And I think that's a word that we've kind of just let go in our Christian lives. Struggle. We've got to be a people who are struggling. I was talking to my wife the other day, and she says, well, doesn't the Bible say to fight the good fight? Referring to First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Well, when I think of fight, I think of Muhammad Ali. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. But that's not always how it is in the Christian life. When you tell me to fight, I'm thinking of my physical exerting effort, and I'm thinking of beating up the devil. Well, I've been beaten up by the devil, but I've never beaten the devil. Matter of fact, it's not going to happen. When it says fight next to that word, it's the same word, struggle. Struggle the good struggle. And that speaks volumes to me. Because when I'm thinking of struggle... It defines my effort in the Christian life such as it is a continuous action against a superior foe. And the idea is, and I've seen this in my life, sometimes we're pushing this way, sometimes he's pushing back that way. Sometimes I allow my flesh to get the best of me and he pushes one way, but then the Spirit, God convicts me and God enables me to push forward. And sometimes, well, it seems like what in the world's wrong with the church? And other times we're seeing revival going on. And that's the idea. It's just this continuous struggle. And we've got to realize that's what the Christian life is. You're not going to beat up the devil, but you will struggle with him every single day. Struggle? Struggle is what an infant does if you watch the steps of the maturity of an infant. The infant comes into this world by struggle. I've seen it. I can relate to the birthing process. I watched my wife. And then I remember when my grandchildren teaching them to roll over, and they kind of start trying to roll over, and they kind of get so they're teetering on their side. You like, come on, come on, come on! You want to go help them, but the thing about it is they need to do that struggle, and they're finally able to to to, to roll over, and then pulling themselves up, and you want to pull themselves up, but I guarantee if you start pulling them up, then you're going to be pulling them up all of their lives. You got to allow them to struggle. And then when it comes time to walk, even as they're walking, they're still struggling. They struggle as they fall over. But it's very important that an infant learns to struggle. Struggle is what a bodybuilder does, struggling against those weights because he desires to lift more in order to build himself up. And struggle is what a Christian is to do from the moment he gets up. We are to be struggling all of our day. Why? Because strength is in the struggle. There's strength in the struggle. As you are struggling, God will strengthen you. If you're just sitting back, if you think you're beating somebody up, that's not going to happen. But God wants you to know the strength is in the struggle. Verse 1 again, For I want you to know what great conflict or what great struggle I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Why is Paul struggling? Where is Paul struggling? For whom is Paul struggling? And most importantly, how is Paul struggling? Why? Because again, he's in that cell. This man who has written so much doctrine and there's false doctrine out there. And it's going across the land. It's on the internet. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere. Although Paul didn't know what internet YouTube was at the time, but nonetheless, it's still going through like wildfire and it has even infiltrated the church. Where? Where? Big part of the struggle is because Colossians again is one of the prison epistles Paul Paul wasn't in an ivory tower he did not live in plush surroundings or on easy street Paul was never about jacuzzi Christianity he struggled in chains although he did not struggle against the chains but as he was struggling he was struggling in chains He was struggling in chains literally as he was taken prisoner, but also the chains of Christ because he understood and knew the doctrine of suffering. And he was to struggle and continue to struggle the good struggle. That word is where we get the word, our word for agonize, agonization. And I think the best definition, because you can take that same word and go back to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Was Jesus fighting there? He wasn't beating up the devil there. What was Jesus doing there? He was struggling there. He was struggling to such a degree that he was sweating blood. Have you ever struggled to that degree? Well, that's the Lord's ministry without a doubt. But again, we see the example that he set that it is a struggle. For whom is he struggling for? The church in Colossae and Laodicea that he is so fond of. And it's those whom God has placed close to his heart. And that's where the struggle starts. It starts with those whom God has placed close to your heart. That I struggle to maintain the things that I know that God has placed upon my life and the things that God has told me to take out of my life and maybe some of the things that I was fond of. And there's a struggle there, but I'm struggling for the benefit of those who who watch me and keep an eye upon me. I I struggle in the area of how God has told me to 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 spend my time and to spend my efforts and my finances because, again, the flesh tells me there's so many other areas that I would so like to do. But you do these things because of those people who you are fond of. Paul was in that jail. He couldn't go to Colossae or Laodicea. And so as he was in that jail, he was struggling. He was in the mindset of what's going on there. My wife and I, one of our children, my daughter Jamie, is in New York. She's pregnant. I don't know if I ever announced that. She's also married, so it's a good thing, we're excited about that. She's in, uh, she's in New York and it's a struggle. It's a struggle because she, who we are so fond of, and especially in the condition that she's in, there's an excitement there, but there's a struggle. I had a struggle with my wife to keep her jumping on the airplane. But there's a struggle because the one who we're so fond of is so far away and we're concerned. I mean, she's not in a bad situation by any stretch of the imagination. But we're just so concerned. So note the verbiage that the Apostle Paul uses. Now I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many who has not seen my face in the flesh. That would be you. That would be Calvary Chapel, Ontario. And their hearts, that their hearts may be encouraged. And this is why he's struggling for them. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full, uh, full assurance of the understanding of, of the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge he's struggling that they would maintain proper doctrine that you would keep your nose planted and rooted within God's Word and not veer veer from it to the right or to the left but as Joshua was told that straight line and it's very interesting Joshua was told not to go off to the left not to go off to the right Keep that straight line. Cut that straight line. And it was to be based upon the written Word of God. Joshua was the very first leader that God called who had the written Word of God. He's the very first one. And so God gave him that command, don't veer to the left and don't veer off to the right. Now it's not that any of this takes Paul by surprise as he was aware of this ministry of struggle right out of the gates. Acts chapter 9, verse 16 For I will show him, Paul, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. His ministry was to be a struggle from the beginning. But how is it that Paul is struggling at this time? And I think this is the key. Since his struggle was for Colossae and Laodicea, I can see that his struggle was not physical. Again, he's in these chains, although in Philippians he called those chains of joy. It was not through worry, because scripturally speaking, we know that worry accomplishes absolutely nothing. It wasn't his impending execution. I don't know if he knew at this time he was going to be executed, but 2 Corinthians 5.8, he knew to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He so longed and desired to go to be with the Lord. He knew it was more important at this point to be with those whom God had told him to be with. So I don't think it was any of those things. I think Paul's main avenue of struggle was simply prayer, was simply prayer. What else did he have? How else could he possibly struggle? And so as Paul, his struggle, now not so much struggling to pray, I'm not really talking about that, although that's a big part of it, but he struggled in prayer. Not to pray, but in prayer. His prayer was a struggle, because he understood he was fighting and struggling against so many different things that were contrary to God. Prayer is the greatest means of struggle in a Christian's life. We struggle to pray, and we struggle in prayer as we intercede for one another. And look at this later on in the same epistle here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, speaks of a struggle. Romans fifteen thirty. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together. You strive together with me in prayers to God speaks of a struggle again not struggle to pray but that is the first thing you need to overcome but that's what prayer is we're struggling we're struggling with so many different areas of our lives we struggle in prayer against the world cuz well that should be pretty obvious what did the world do the world continuously is trying to push prayer out of our society but there's a struggle there Now, that struggle isn't just to be a physical one, voting booth and so on and so forth. It's to be a spiritual one. We are to be struggling in prayer. You will struggle against your flesh in your prayers. And again, prayer is probably the perfect example. How many people here have fallen asleep in prayer? A perfect example of struggling against the flesh. I've got this to pray for, this to pray for, this to pray for, and you sit down or you lay down, which is your first mistake, and you start to pray God, I just, (laughs) I've done that. I mean, I think it's a good thing to fall asleep in prayer, as long as you're not here at church. It's a good thing to fall asleep in prayer. It's better to fall asleep in some of the thoughts that you've had in the past. But again, it's a physical struggle. I usually like to come in. I'm usually here on Saturdays. Before I go, I usually come in the sanctuary and pray. And sometimes I'm driving home, it's like, oh, I forgot. That I forgot is starting to be a bigger and bigger struggle. And so, we struggle against the world, we struggle against the flesh, and there's no doubt about it, we also struggle against the devil in our prayers. I mean, you look at the verbiage, we looked at it quite a few months ago, but in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 18, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Not gonna go through all the definition of those words, but we know that's the devil and his demons. What does Paul say? He doesn't say we fight against them. He says we wrestle against them. When I think of wrestle, I think of a great struggle, a struggle where there is back and forth. But again, the context, he goes from there, speaking of the armor of God, but look where it accumulates in, in verse 18 praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. His great struggle, it resulted in prayer. And I present to you that he put on the armor of God so that he would not be hindered from praying. And he understood when you put on the armor of God and now you have the opportunity to get the advantage in this struggle for prayer, he said, pray for me. Pray for me because we know he was praying for them. And so... Are you struggling? Are you struggling hard? That's what we've been called to do. Struggle hard for the things that God has brought near your heart. I mean, how many times will you sit there and spend hours watching TV? How long can you sit and play a video game? I know I'll give four hours over to playing a round of golf. How long do you struggle in prayer every day? Recognize it for what it is. It's not just throwing up something to heaven. It's to truly enter into the struggle. To struggle the good struggle. To pray and struggle for that which God has laid upon your heart and is dear to your soul. To understand that this is the essence of Christianity. That anything that occurs within the body of Christ, it always starts at that struggle. And it needs to be an accumulation or maybe a result of that struggle. What is the expected result of this struggle in prayer? Again, I'll reread it. I've read it a couple of times already, but... Verses 2 and 3. So Paul's struggling that their hearts may be encouraged. Now again, this is with the backdrop of false doctrine. Being knit together in love because he knows false doctrine divides. And attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Because there's no understanding in false doctrine. To the knowledge of the mystery of God. Well, because false doctrine will not bring us to the knowledge of the mystery of God. Both the Father and of Christ. And whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge it's been said that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach but in actuality if a person's heart is worth seeking it's worth seeking in prayer note the end result of prayer and another's life people will be through your struggle what we've seen here in these two verses they'll be encouraged they'll be knit together there'll be a unity there will be a rich assurance through the understanding of the truthfulness of God's Word or the ability to apply the wisdom that comes from the Lord. Why is he telling them all this? Verse 4 and 5. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul is concerned about captivating communicators. You saw one on the screen today, captivating communic. Not Bill. Well, Bill Cosby was too, but I'm talking about Joel. Captivating communicators. Those people that we can look at and we can become so enamored with. He looks like such a godly man. He sounds like an angel. And you've got all of these superficial things. But what's the core of his doctrine? Is the core of his doctrine truth? Is the core of his doctrine the Word of God? Because if it's not, it's just some idea of man, and it's the ideas of men that drive men to hell. Because they're centered upon the sinful nature of man. Everybody's got an ulterior motive of some sort, of some kind. Fast and smooth talking will always mask false teaching, because we can so easily, especially in this day and age, that we're so entertainment orientated, we can be so well so susceptible and vulnerable to these things. How do we overlook truthfulness of content? It's because of the attractiveness of its packaging. The world knows that. and We see just about every commercial, it's all about attractive packaging. And we, we look at these things and it's always to a point, I've got to have one. Maybe you even already have one, but you need the new and improved. Always looking for something bigger. Always looking to something better. And again, it's the same thing with false teaching. And so what do we need to do? We need to be a people who are struggling, who are agonizing, because we see the state of the world. We see that this world is completely contrary to God. We see that the false teachers, they're out there and they're gathering people unto themselves. We know the truth. We've got the Word of God what are we missing? And I present to you because I know in my life I'm not doing all that I can do as well, but we're missing, we're missing the struggle because we have left that out of doctrine. Prayers, we'll pray before we eat, we'll throw up prayers, flare prayer, SOS prayer, whatever it might be, but we've got to spend time in prayer because again, it's in the struggle that strength is gained. Identify the things that are important in your life and then struggle hard. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word. And Father, as we look at your word, we've got to see, Lord, the reality of it in our lives, the message, Lord, that you have spoken, not just to the body of Christ, because we can so easily hide in the body of Christ, but Lord, the message that you have spoken to us today. I pray, Father, that every person here is convicted, convicted that we're either not struggling or we're not struggling very hard. We, we, yeah, wrestle against the devil we're really not even entering into the wrestling match. And if we're honest, we're not even fighting the good fight. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people who are struggling because that is going to be the advent of revival. It's going to, we're going to see when the church really enters into that struggle, we'll see miraculous things come about. And so, Father, again, we just thank You for Your Word. I pray, Father, for the elements of this message that were pertinent to the lives here today, that, Lord, You would drive them deep within our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We all stand please.